Well, on the 22nd of March this year, uh, that's exactly seven weeks ago today, Cara Tippetts died, aged just 38. Akara was married with four young children. But two years ago, Kara was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. In those two years, Kara knew great suffering. And it was during this time of suffering that Kara entered into the debate on the legalisation of voluntary euthanasia, passionately defending her point of view. Now, according to the Collins Dictionary, euthanasia is defined as the act of killing someone painlessly, especially to relieve suffering from an incurable disease. And so voluntary euthanasia is when you choose to end your own God-given life, usually in order to end your suffering. Now, we might not all be diagnosed with terminal cancer, like Cara Tippett's, But the fact is, we will all suffer. And like her, we will long for relief. For some of us, it will be health problems, perhaps acute or or chronic or even terminal sickness. For some of us, it will be relational suffering, marital conflict, unwanted singleness, children who go astray. For some of us, it'll be emotional pain, perhaps the loss of a loved one or the inability to have children. For some of us, it might even be suffering through natural disasters like cyclones or bushfires. And of course, most of us will suffer from the pace of modern life, always exhausted, overwhelmed, longing for rest. So the question before us this morning is not so much, will we suffer? Because we already know the answer to that one. But rather, how should we suffer? Because as we'll see from today's passage, there really is a right way to suffer and a wrong way. And so we need to make sure that we know the right way. Now, if you don't already have a Bible open at Jeremiah chapter 43... Can I encourage you to grab one now and turn with me to Jeremiah 43? It's page 570 of the small print Bibles, 1247 of the large print. And by way of background, let me remind you that when we left the story of Jeremiah last week, the whole land of Judah was in chaos, total chaos. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had invaded Judah and basically destroyed everything, wiping out pretty much all the people who were there. Nebuchadnezzar had then appointed a man named Gedaliah as governor over the land. And while he governed, things actually went pretty well in Judah. And many of the Jews who had fled elsewhere in order to avoid the Babylonian onslaught came back to their homeland. But then another man named Ishmael led an uprising and killed Gedaliah, the governor, along with a number of Babylonian soldiers. Of course, that left the Jews in Judah terrified. Terrified of what King Nebuchadnezzar would do to them when he found out what had happened. And so the people inquired of Jeremiah, what should we do? They asked him. 
And so Jeremiah gave them God's answer. Just stay in Judah, he said. Trust me and you'll be okay. And whatever you do, don't run away to Egypt. If you do that, you'll be destroyed. And so how did the people respond when they heard what Jeremiah said? Well, true to form, they ignored him. And they ran away to a city called Tarpanes in Egypt, where they thought they'd be safe. Uh, making Jeremiah and his faithful scribe, Baruch, come along with them too. And that's where we pick up the story in today's passage, which begins with God speaking to Jeremiah in Tarpanes. God tells Jeremiah to perform a kind of object lesson in front of the Jews in Egypt. God gets Jeremiah to bury some large stones right outside Pharaoh's palace in Tarpanes. And then God gets Jeremiah to announce the meaning of this object lesson. The time is coming, he says, when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon will invade Egypt and set up his royal throne right on top of these stones that I've just buried. And when he does, he will annihilate all you Jews who are here and destroy all the Egyptian gods and their temples too. Read with me from Jeremiah chapter 43, verse 8, 43, 8. In Tarpanes, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. While the Jews are watching, take some large stones with you and bury them in clay in the brick pavement at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Tarpanes. Then say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will set his throne over these stones I have buried here. He will spread his royal canopy above them. He will come and attack Egypt, bringing death to those destined for death, captivity to those destined for captivity, and the sword to those destined for the sword. He will set fire to the temples of the gods of Egypt and will burn their temples and take their gods captive. As a shepherd wraps his garment around him, so he will wrap Egypt around himself and depart from there unscathed. There in the temple of the sun in Egypt, he will demolish the sacred pillars and will burn down the temples of the gods of Egypt. See, it's an object lesson to show these Jews that Egypt will not provide the refuge they seek. And to show them that God will punish them for their disobedience, just like he promised. But you have to understand that the the disobedience of these Jews... It goes way beyond the fact that they've ignored God and gone to Egypt. No, the fact is they're in Egypt. They've been worshipping false gods too. Can you believe that? After everything that's happened, after all the destruction that God has brought on Judah because of the idol worship there, now these Jews are back at it again. And so God gives Jeremiah another message for the Jews He says, don't you remember? Don't you remember how I pleaded with your forefathers to stop worshipping foreign gods? And don't you remember how I destroyed Judah and Jerusalem because they wouldn't listen? And so why are you now worshipping foreign gods here in Egypt? Don't you realise that if you keep that up, I'm going to destroy you too? Why do that to yourselves? Here, read with me from chapter 44, verse 1, 44, 1. 
This word came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews living in Lower Egypt, in Migdol, Tarpanes and Memphis and in Upper Egypt. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You saw the great disaster I brought on Jerusalem and on all the towns of Judah. Today they lie deserted and in ruins because of the evil they have done. They provoked me to anger by burning incense and by worshipping other gods that neither they nor you nor your fathers ever knew. Again and again I sent my servants, the prophets, who said, do not do this detestable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or pay attention. They did not turn from their wickedness or stop burning incense to other gods. Therefore my fierce anger was poured out. It raged against the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem and made them the desolate ruins they are today. Now this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says. Why bring such great disaster on yourselves? By cutting off from Judah the men and women, the children and infants, and so leave yourselves without a remnant. Why provoke me to anger with what your hands have made? bringing incense, burning incense to other gods in Egypt where you have come to live. You will destroy yourselves and make yourselves an object of cursing and reproach among all the nations on earth. And so God warns the people, if they persist in worshipping false gods, he will destroy them. And so how do the people respond to Jeremiah's message this time? Sadly, once again, they treat Jeremiah's message with utter contempt. And bizarrely, they put a very different spin on Judah's history. The Jews there in Egypt say that that actually, it was only when they stopped worshipping their foreign gods, and in particular, the so-called Queen of Heaven, only then did everything start going wrong for them. Now, I imagine what's really happened here is that they were worshipping their false gods back, back home in Judah, right up until the Babylonian army came in and destroyed all their idols. And of course that meant they were no longer able to worship them. But now somehow they've concluded that that's why they're in such dire straits. And so they tell Jeremiah, no, no, we're not going to stop worshipping our Queen of Heaven because you see, you see she's the one who can protect us. And provide for us. She's the one who can relieve all our suffering. Read with me from chapter 44, verse 15. 44, 15. Then all the men who knew that their wives were burning incense to other gods, along with all the women who were present, a large assembly, and all the people living in Lower and Upper Egypt said to Jeremiah, We will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. We will certainly do everything we said we would. We will burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and we'll pour out drink offerings to her just as we and our fathers, our kings and our officials did in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. At that time, we had plenty of food and were well off and suffered no harm. But ever since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven pouring out drink offerings to her. We have had nothing and have been perishing by sword and famine. See, it's it's a bizarre spin on history. 
They've got it all wrong. But as a result, the people refuse to heed God's warning, believing that the Queen of Heaven is the one who can make all their troubles disappear. And so they promise to persist in worshipping her. So in return, God makes a promise too. He promises to now watch over these Jews in Egypt. But not to watch over them for good, but rather for harm. He promises that this remnant will now be cut off, killed, either by sword or by famine. And as a sign that none of this will happen by accident, God makes an extraordinary prediction. He claims that the most powerful man in Egypt, the king, Pharaoh Hophra, the one in whom these Jews have entrusted themselves, God claims that he will be assassinated. Read, read with me from chapter 44, verse 24. 44, 24. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, including the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah in Egypt. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You and your wives have shown by your actions what you promised when you said, We will certainly carry out the vows we made to burn incense and pour out drink offerings to the Queen of Heaven. Go ahead then. Do what you promised. Keep your vows. But hear the word of the Lord, all Jews living in Egypt. I swear by my great name, says the Lord, that no one from Judah living anywhere in Egypt will ever again invoke my name or swear as surely as the Sovereign Lord lives, for I am watching over them for harm, not for good. The Jews in Egypt will perish by sword and famine until they are all destroyed. Those who escape the sword and return to the land of Judah from Egypt will be very few. Then the whole remnant of Judah who came to live in Egypt will know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This will be the sign to you that I will punish you in this place, declares the Lord, so that you will know that my threats of harm against you will surely stand. This is what the Lord says. I am going to hand Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, over to his enemies who seek his life, just as I handed Zedekiah, king of Judah, over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the enemy who was seeking his life. And so in the end, the Jews there in Egypt refused to humble themselves and repent of their idol worship. They know God's will for their lives, but in their attempt to avoid suffering, they reject his will, and they choose to go their own way. As for God's sign regarding Pharaoh Hophra, well, interestingly, history records that Hophra was, in fact, assassinated, strangled to death by his own people as part of a revolt. Extraordinary stuff. And a sure sign to these Jews that they were next. But now, for the final few verses of today's passage, we have to travel back in time. Because remember, the book of Jeremiah, it's not arranged chronologically, but rather topically. And so we jump back to a time before the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem to a time when wicked King Jehoiakim was still on the throne of Judah. Now, you might remember the story 
uh, from back in chapter 36. When God gets Jeremiah and his faithful scribe Baruch to write out on a scroll all the prophecies of doom that Jeremiah had preached throughout the previous two decades of his ministry. Do you remember that? It was obviously some task, but they did it in the hope that the people of Judah would hear all the prophecies of doom and repent. But you might also remember how in the end, wicked King Jehoiakim contemptuously tore up the scroll and burned it in a fire piece by piece. Do you remember that? Well, now in these final verses of today's passage, we hear about the effect all this had on Baruch, Jeremiah's scribe. And we hear of his misery. Oh, woe is me, he says. He says he's full of sorrow and pain. He says he's worn out without rest. And he blames God for it all. But why is Baruch so miserable? Well, it could be because all his work has just been ripped up and thrown in a fire. I mean, I remember once accidentally deleting about an hour's work off my computer and thinking it was the absolute end of the world. But this would have been hundreds of hours of work for Baruch. All handwritten, now it's gone. And then to top it off, you might remember God told Baruch to go and write it all out again. No wonder he's in pain. He's got writer's cramp. (laughs) But that's not all. Because the fact is, he and Jeremiah are now in hiding. Hiding because King Jehoiakim now wants to get his hands on them. He's furious with them. And to top it all off, Baruch is surely burdened by all the terrible, awful judgments he knows will now come on Judah. Because nobody's listened. Judah will be destroyed. There's no doubt about that anymore. But of course, with that, ends all Baruch's hopes and dreams for the future. No doubt all these things have left Baruch feeling miserable. And I mean, who can blame him? Quite frankly, he's expected better things for his life. And so he complains to God, God, how can you allow all this to happen to me? But then God answers him and he says, Baruch, Baruch, you seem to have forgotten something. It seems that you have forgotten who's in charge here. It's not you. It's me. After all, I'm the one who built the cities of Judah in the first place. And I'm the one who planted all the people there. And so if I now choose to to overthrow and uproot them, then surely that's my prerogative. What, do you think that your plans are bigger than mine, Baruch? Do, do, Do you think that I should put aside my justice... So that all your hopes and dreams for the future might be fulfilled. Is that it, Baruch? Do you think I I owe you a happy, carefree life? No, Baruch. I'm not going to put my plans aside for you. I will bring destruction on this land. But Baruch, take heart. 
Because I promise you today that no matter how bad things get, I'll spare your life. Read with me from chapter 45, verse 1. 45, 1. This is what Jeremiah the prophet told Baruch, son of Neriah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. After Baruch had written on a scroll the words Jeremiah was then dictating. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You said, woe to me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am worn out with groaning and find no rest. The Lord said, say to him, this is what the Lord says. I will overthrow what I have built and uproot what I have planted throughout the land. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. See, as God brings his judgment on the land, Baruch can't expect not to suffer. But God comforts Baruch with the promise that in the end, he will bring him through the judgment. He'll live. In the meantime, Baruch simply needs to trust God, even while he suffers, turning to God in faith and obedience, knowing that his plans matter more than his own, and trusting his faithful God to bring him through. So did Baruch actually heed God's message? Well, it seems so. Because many years later, after the the terrible destruction of Judah, we see Baruch, still by Jeremiah's side, as together they're carted off to Egypt with that disobedient Jewish remnant we heard about earlier. And so we see him, still suffering, but steadfastly trusting and serving God. And still alive, just as God promised. And so, friends, do you see? Do you see the the contrast that's there in today's passage? A, A great contrast between the disobedient Jews in Egypt and the faithful scribe, Baruch. All of them suffering as God brings his judgment on the land but responding to their suffering in two very different ways. Of course, when the Jewish remnant suffer, what do they do? They turn away from God, disobeying his clear instructions. They they look to avoid further suffering by hiding themselves in Egypt against God's will and by worshipping foreign gods. It's the wrong way to suffer. And in the end... They promised death. But then there's Baruch, who in his suffering turns to God and is reminded that he is the one in control, bringing about his great plans. And so Baruch humbly commits himself to God in faith and obedience. It is the right way to suffer. And in the end, Baruch is promised life. Which now brings us to ask ourselves the question of 
How are we to suffer as Christians today? Because, friends, the fact is we live in a fallen world that's under God's judgment. And so we too will suffer. Just as God's judgment was on the whole land of Judah and everyone there suffered, well, we also live in a world marred by sin and under God's wrath. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden for their disobedience, our world has been under God's curse. And so we live in a world where people get sick and relationships are strained and people grieve and work is hard and earthquakes devastate. And so when we suffer, we shouldn't be surprised Nor should we be angry with God because he's not fitting in with our plans. No, like Brooke, we need to humble ourselves. And we need to remember that God's plans are always bigger than ours. And we need to make up our minds to obey him, no matter what. Knowing that in the end, God will bring us through. He will give us life. Now, of course, the the life God promises us is even better than the life he promised Baruch. He promised Baruch physical life, but God promises us eternal life. Life beyond death, in heaven. Life without death or mourning or crying or pain. Life with joy that never ends. Life with our loving Lord Jesus who is, of course, our ultimate example of how to suffer. Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane could so easily have said, all right, Father, that's it. I've had enough, thank you. I want out of here. Quite frankly, I expected better things for my life than this. But who instead prayed? Father, not my will, but yours be done even though that meant the agony of the cross. In the end, of course, God raised Jesus to life again. And now he promises that same life to all of us who endure suffering as he did, trusting in God. And so how are we to suffer? Well, by turning to God in humble faith and obedience by committing ourselves to him and doing it his way. Like Baruch, like Jesus. As we're told in 1 Peter chapter 4, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We're to trust in him and we're to do good Unfortunately, the temptation for us as Christians in times of suffering is neither to commit ourselves to our faithful creator nor do good. And sadly, I think too often we respond to suffering a bit like that disobedient Jewish remnant in Egypt. We suffer and we turn away from God, seeking relief in sin. 
And so we have a hard day at work. And we come home and we take it out on our spouse or our children or our parents. Or we're sick of being alone and single. And so we give in and we start dating a non-Christian. Or we're faced with an unexpected pregnancy. And so we quietly terminate that precious life to avoid the shame. Or we're tired of going against the flow as Christians, whether it be at school or uni or at work, against the flow of everybody else, and so we just retreat into silence or anonymity. Or we suddenly discover just how difficult or or mundane marriage can be. And so we opt out, looking for relief in, in, in divorce or through an affair. Or we're just so stressed out with all the busyness and demands of modern life that we turn to internet pornography for escape. To end our suffering, we turn to sin for relief. But in the end, these things that we turn to are just as insecure and unreliable as Egypt and her gods. In the end, they will only bring more pain, not to mention God's displeasure. So, friend, let me ask, how are you suffering? No, I don't mean what's the circumstance of your suffering. I mean, how are you suffering? Are you suffering like the Jewish remnant in Egypt? who turned away from God, looking for relief in sin. Or are you suffering like faithful Baruch, who turned to God in faith and obedience? Remember Kara Tippetts, who died seven weeks ago today? Kara Tippetts, who in the midst of her suffering entered into the debate on voluntary euthanasia? Well, you know, Kara Tippetts was actually a lot like faithful Baruch. Because you see, Kara wasn't promoting voluntary euthanasia, but speaking out against it. Kara knew Jesus and knew that he would see her through. So she resisted the temptation to end all the pain by taking her own life against God's will. She suffered the right way. In one of Kara's final blogs online, she wrote, My little body has grown tired of battle. And treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have, is Jesus. He has still given me breath. And with it, I pray I would live well and fade well. I do not feel like I have the courage for this journey but I have Jesus and he will provide. Seven weeks ago today, 
Kara left her pain-filled body to enter the arms of Jesus. Friends, as we suffer, let's be like Kara Tippetts. Let's be like Baruch the scribe. Let's be like Jesus, our saviour. Let's commit ourselves to God. Let's trust him in our pain. And let's obey him, come what may. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this word from Jeremiah today. Lord, as we suffer, please keep us from the temptation of thinking that our plans are bigger than yours. Please keep us from seeking relief in sin. Instead, please help us to trust you in our pain, knowing that Jesus will provide and that in him we have the promise of an eternity free from suffering, an eternity full of life and joy with you. Amen.